0: Uh, well, I built the whole series, the timing of this whole Galatians series, um, to ensure that, um, we got to this passage on Pentecost Sunday. We, we've reached the, the climax, really, of, um, Paul's argument in Galatians. Uh, not just the climax of Galatians, really, we've reached the climax of the gospel. Um, our adoption as children in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson says that the notion that we're children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. Uh, You might have heard of the great theologian Jim Packer. He's been very influential. And he said that being adopted by God is the highest blessing of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the experience of adoption and boy, do we need God's help. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we can do nothing of eternal significance without your spirits moving in our hearts and helping us. And so we ask, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon us and help us to hear your words, speak to our hearts, words of good news and gospel hope. For Jesus' sake, we pray, Amen. Friends, there's really just two um, phrases that we're going to uh, focus on in the in the passage in Galatians four, um, and and it's um, I want you to notice these two sendings in in verses four and verse six. See, you see, in verse four, uh, it says God sent His Son, and then uh, if you go and look at verse six, it says God sent the Spirit of His Son. And so in both cases, you see, God is doing the one doing the sending. But in the first case, God is sending his son. And in the second case, God is sending what? The spirit of his son. And and if you ask the question, well, where did God send his son? The obvious answer is into the world, isn't it? That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God sent his son into the world. But if you ask the question, where does God send the spirit of his son? It's in an entirely different realm in verse 6. Did you see that? God sends the spirit of his son where? Into our hearts. That's where God sends the spirit of his son. If you ask another question, what was the goal of God sending his son into the world? You see the answer in verse 5. It says, in order, right? In order to redeem those who are under the law. In other words, in order to pay the penalty, the price for our sins. But then even that had a goal because there's a so that there. He paid for our sins, redeem us, so that we might receive adoption as children. Adoption as children. Now, I just need to make a comment on the translation here because the the word that Paul wrote is not children. The word that Paul wrote is sons. And, of course, in an effort to be uh, gender inclusive, the the, um, NRSV has translated sons as children, and and for good reason. I mean, look at verse 26. It's been one of the most culturally transformational verses in, in the history of Western thought. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Uh, Let me tell you, the West didn't get that from Buddhism. It didn't get that from Hinduism. It didn't get that from atheism. It got that from Galatians 3, 26. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And so uh, the reason for translating son as child is to say this is available to everyone. And so indeed it is. But it's important for us to keep in mind why Paul uses the word sons, because it's not just because of being patriarchal or gender exclusive. There's some historical context um, and ideas that we need to appreciate uh, why Paul uses that word. And the first reason is because there was such a thing called as adoption in the Greco-Roman world. And Paul is picking up on something we need to kind of get in a time machine and go back to the first century and see how adoption worked in the Greco-Roman first century. And, and the way that it would work usually is that there'd be a really um, rich dude who was getting on in years and who didn't have any kids and he wanted to pass on all of his wealth, all of his estate, to a son, and so he would adopt a son, and this is the idea that Paul is picking up on to um, apply to how we've been adopted by God. Uh, the gift of sonship would happen when a wealthy person. Uh, sorry, I'm repeating myself there. Um, that the moment the legal papers were um, transacted in in this um, Greco-Roman situation, the status of that boy was completely changed. So that in an instant, they stood to inherit everything that their father owned. Um, Francis Lyle uh, is a guy who's written a whole book on Greco-Roman adoption and how it um, depicts our relationship with God. He says, The profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All of his old debts were instantly cancelled. And in effect, the adoptee started a new life as part of his new family. On the one hand, the new father owned all the new son's property, controlled his personal relationships and had the rights of disciplines. But on the other hand, the father was liable for the actions of the adoptee. Liable for the actions of the adoptees. He would pay. He would have to pay. You see, it's easy to think of our salvation in purely negative terms. Um, You know, we say that Jesus died um, so that my sins could be forgiven. Um, And that's true. But my goodness, does that sell us short on what Christ achieved on the cross? Uh, It's not just forgiveness. Look at verse 5. Jesus came in order to get our redemption, but that had a purpose as well. What does he say? In order to get our redemption so that what? Our redemption has a goal, so that we might be adopted as sons, adopted as children. You see, when I became a Christian, it was easy for me to see what I'd been taken off of me. Uh, My sins had been taken off, my shame had been taken off, my guilt had been taken off of me. But it was much harder for me to see that as part of that very same transaction, all the things that I had taken on, The status that I had taken on as as a child, as a son, as, as the beloved before God. My legal status, equal in nature to God the Son, to whom the Father delights in. You see, the other reason, the thing we need to not miss when we use the word adopted as sons is that Paul is trying to say that we're adopted into the Son, the Son of God. You see, the Bible doesn't teach the universal fatherhood of God in the sense that, well, let me put it this way. Um, People say we're all children of God, and if if by that they mean we're all made by God, that God is our creator, then that, that is true. The Bible does say that. He's our Father and we're his children in the sense that he's our creator. But friends, let's be clear. God has one Son. One unique son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. He has one son. And to say that his relationship with the son is a unique one and is a special one is the understatement of the ages. So the reason Paul uses the word son is he's trying to say that we've been adopted into that unique relationship through the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given the same status. Just take a moment to try and bring that in. Try and breathe that in. So that's why God sent his son in verse 5. It was to redeem us so that we could be adopted as children. That's verse 5. That's our setup today. We're focusing on verse six. The the God sent the Spirit of His Son in verse six, and that's our memory verse. Because you are children, or the literal translation, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, "Abba, Father." Can you see that? Can you see the difference it makes when it's it's God spent the, we are sons, and God sent the Spirit of His. Son, so yes, of course we 're children, of course, this is not an exclusive thing, but Paul is trying to pick up on the special relationship that the father has with the son and and, and ours takes on the same nature, so that 's what we 're going to be uh, going through uh, today i 'm working up a sweat up here, and so i 'm going to take my jacket and i 've got a mic on too. whoops, uh, take that off too but but that 's what we 're going through uh, today because um, we, we saw how verse 6 um, follows the same structure as verse 4. Um, but, but now in verse 6, God sends the Spirit instead of the Son. And instead of the Spirit going into the world, that's what the Son went into the world, the Spirit is sent into our hearts. And instead of the Son going in to redeem the world, which is what he did going into the world, what does the Spirit do in verse 6? The Spirit is sent... And causes what? It causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit's work is to give us the experience of what we already have in status. In other words, verse 4 is about the finished work of Christ in the world, in history, 2,000 years ago through his life, death and resurrection. Verse 6 it's not about the finished work of Christ, it's about the present work of Christ in our hearts. The spirit of his son working in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so there's two things that we're going to see that I want to unpack with you this morning. This glorious truth that Jim Packer calls the highest privilege of the gospel. And the first thing is I want you to see in verse 6 what it is that's promised to us what that, pro- that verse is promising us, and secondly, what it's like, okay? And so I want you to see in verse 6 that ver- God is promising an experience. Verse 4 and 5 are about a status, and verse 6 is about our experience. Look at how he starts in verse 6. He says, "'And because you are children.'" You are children, that's done, that's settled, that's your new legal status, that's a given. But because of that, God didn't stop there, he kept on going and did what? He sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts. So do you see the, the difference here? That God sent his son into the world, his spirit into his hearts. But here's the thing, what the son achieved in the world is an objective external, historical fact. It's objective, it's external, it's done and dusted in history. It's objective and external. Through his life, death and resurrection, that's the status we now have through what he achieved. We're no longer slaves, we're sons. We're no longer orphans, we're heirs. That's what Jesus achieved in the world. But now, verse 6 is talking about what the Spirit achieves by it being sent into our hearts. And that is to make us feel like sons, to make us feel like children, to make us feel like we've been adopted. You see, it's the Son's job to make us sons, whether we feel like it or not, but it's the Spirit's job to help us appropriate who we already are, to help us to experience it and to feel that adoption firsthand. You see what the Spirit's role is here in our hearts? Tim Keller says that one way of putting it is that you can claim what the Son does, but you can only experience what the Spirit does. What's he saying? He's saying you have bad days. You're having a day when you feel dark and down and depressed. You're not feeling like a child. You're not feeling deeply loved. You're feeling isolated. You're feeling abandoned. Well, what do you do? You claim what the Son has done. You say, well, it doesn't matter how I feel. (laughs) Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he changed my status from being an orphan to an heir, from being a slave to being a son, being a a child. And so you claim what Christ has done through his death and resurrection. But verse 6 is not talking about that. Verse 6 is talking about an experience. The promise of verse 6 is, is our experience as being his children. Can, can you see that? I hope you can see the experiential words. Um, of course, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about our adoption, is drawing, I think, quite heavily on the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. And, and can you remember what happens when the prodigal son, um, after everything that he's done, he, he runs home to his dad and he says to him, Father, I'm not worthy, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and then he says, make me like one of your hired servants. He, 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 he's, he's not having the experience. He doesn't have the status, feels like he doesn't have the status of a son. And it's certainly not the experience. He has to be like a slave. He has to work off his debt. He has to work his way back into the house. Sinclair Ferguson says, we love this story, but the lesson it teaches us is often overlooked. Jesus was underlining the fact that the reality of the love of God for us is the last thing in the world to dawn on us. The love of God for us is the last thing in the world to dawn on us. No, 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 don't make me a son. Make me like one of your hired servants. As we fix our eyes upon ourselves, our past failures, our present guilt, it seems impossible that the Father should love us. So many of us go through our whole lives with a prodigal suspicion. So many of us go through our lives with a prodigal suspicion. No, I'm a slave. I'm not worthy to be called a son, a child. Sinclair goes on. Like the prodigal, we have a native inability to believe that salvation is completely by grace and love. We are slow to realize the implications of this. We have the status of sons, but we have the mindset of a hired servant. What a tragedy for us to sell God short in what it is that he's achieved for us through the sending of his son and the sending of the Holy Spirit we have a prodigal suspicion. When I look back uh, back, uh, years ago, the reason why I left a successful ministry uh, in order to take on an even more successful ministry at a bigger and even more successful church that, that turned out to be a disaster for me and for my family and for my health, I can see now, clear as day, it was because I had the status of the son, a son, but I didn't have the experience. I had the status of a son, but I didn't have the experience. I needed to work my way into worthiness. I needed to work my way into adequacy, through success, through a bigger and better ministry. I had the status of a son, but I didn't have the experience. And I know that if I had... Um, it, experience what Paul is talking about in verse 6, I wouldn't have, I would have stayed. I wouldn't have left because I didn't need to prove myself. I didn't need to prove my worth. I didn't need to work my way into God's favour. By the way, becoming a minister is a great way for you to work off, work your way into God's favour. I'm being cynical um, and and, and um, what, what's I, I, ironic. See, we have the mindset of a hired servant. Coming to church is a great way to do it, but but being on the roster, coming to, we have the mindset of a hired servant rather than the mindset of a son and the experience of our sonship. This is such important truth for us to gather. Of course, this is what the entire advertising industry is built on. They know how inadequate you feel, how insecure, how unworthy you feel, that you feel like an orphan, you feel like a slave, you, you feel like you have to prove yourself, and so all they have to do is put a fancy ad with a hot guy or a hot girl on it and say, hey, if you wear this moisturizer, then you'll finally feel like a son, and, and it'll, fi- it'll, fi- it'll fill you up. We don't need that. We, we... Why on earth, if I have the glorious father of the universe beaming on me with delight saying, this is my son, Kieran, in whom I'm well pleased in the same way that he says to God, the son, why on earth do I need to go about trying to prove myself or being so um, insecure and sensitive to criticism? Why on earth does my um, mood rise and fall depending on my performance, depending on how people respond to me? If I've got the father beaming on me with delight, saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's because I'm saying, father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It's because of my native inability to trust and to experience God's love. It's because of my prodigal suspicion. I've got the status, but I need to have the experience. And that's what Paul is saying the Spirit gives us in verse 6. Because you are sons, because you are children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Going back to the parable of the prodigal son, what does the father do when he sees his son a long way off? Does he say, oh, forget about it, son. Back in. We're all good. Is that, how, is that what he does? No. He runs out to meet him and throws his arms around him and covers him with kisses. I mean, it's more too. bring the fattened calf and kill it or put the robe on, the ring, the sandals. Friends, this is what Paul is talking about, what the Spirit brings to our hearts. That experience of love, the Father's embrace, the Father's kiss is what the Spirit brings to our hearts is what Paul is talking about in verse 6. That's his role. And this is all part of the package. This is not like, you know, you have to graduate to some... That's what, this, is, this is what the gospel is and what God has achieved for us by sending his son and sending his spirit. Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan, has an illustration for it. He says, imagine a father walking down the road with his little boy holding hands. The little boy knows that the man is his father and that the father loves him. But suddenly, the father stops Picks up the boy, lifts him up into his arms, embraces him and kisses him. The little boy is no less a son now than he was a few seconds ago. The father's action hasn't changed the boy's status one little bit. But what a difference to feel the father's embrace. That's verse 6. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Charles Spurgeon once said, some of us have known what it is to be too happy to live. The love of God has been so overwhelmingly experienced by us on a few occasions that we almost had to ask God to stop the delight for we could not endure any more. If God had not shielded us from his love and glory, I think we would have died for joy. Make no mistake, friends. The reason we need new bodies in the new heavens and the new earth is because these bodies and this soul and these emotions cannot cope with the tiniest drop of God's glory and God's love for you. That's why you need a new body. Because you'll die if you experience too much of his love and glory. Friends, that's the weight of glory that the Father has for the Son and that we've been brought into through the precious blood of the Son spilled on the cross, and the spirit is sent into our hearts to give us a taste a foretaste we 've read in ephesians four it 's just it 's just a foretaste, a down payment, a guarantee of the glory to come now, as we begin to wrap up, I think the clearest indication that um, you have this experience, that you know this experience, again, according to verse 6. And, and the place to look as to whether you're walking in this experience is very simply your prayer life. Look at what Paul says. And because you were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That's the relationship that we're brought into. What's the clearest indication as to whether someone has experienced this adoption? According to Paul, according to verse 6, it's your prayer life. Crying out, Abba, Father, enjoying God for God. Having extended times with God because of his glory and his beauty and his love. Crying out, Abba, Father. Paul says it, it will be a prayer life that is intimate. Because as you've heard before, the word Abba is the word, the informal word that a little child would use for their father. Daddy, daddy, dada, dada. I'm a child. I'm a father of young kids. Believe me, it's daddy, daddy, dada, dada. And that's the word that Paul uses for our relationship with God. It's going to be intimate. And so this is not master, servant. Do you have a master-servant relationship with God? Do you have a boss-employee relationship with God? Do you have a judge and accused relationship with God? Well, that is not what Christ bought for us on the cross. He sent his spirit into our hearts that we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. That is it. That's what the power of Christ's blood and what he achieved for us and what he does through his spirit. It'll be a intimate prayer life and relationship but Paul says it will also be passionate because what does he say he, he says crying out it's not like oh good to see you dad um today I'm going to be it's crying out the Greek word is kratzo, from which you get the word crazy it literally can be translated to scream to shriek to shout to cry out. That might be with... My kids do it all the time. They're, sh- they're so noisy. Well, I mean, we visited people here at St. Philip's. Stayed with them for a while. They were way too noisy. They were shrieking and shouting. That's, Jesus says, you cannot become my disciple unless you become like what? A little child. Snotty. Noisy. Angry. Importunate. Interrupting. In your face. Daddy. Daddy. Look at this. Look at this. Daddy. I want this. I want this. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple unless you become like that this is not polite this is not courteous this is not well-mannered this is a passionate crying out to God in prayer because he's our daddy and I do want to say that if you want to see what that kind of relationship with God looks like that the very last culture you might want to visit is a western culture like ours And maybe the first culture that you might want to look at is Christian brothers and sisters in the east, like Asia, or the global south, like Africa and Latin America. And if you want to see what that kind of relationship with God looks like, it pains me to say that oftentimes the very last denomination you might want to visit is an Anglican or Presbyterian church. And I have Presbyterian brothers who say the exact same thing. And perhaps the first denomination you might want to visit to see what that kind of relationship looks like is a Pentecostal church. And no wonder, given that Pentecost refers to the outpouring of God's spirit. So the indicator of whether you have this experience, I think according to Paul, is a, a passionate crying out and an intimacy of Abba, Father, with my God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, my goodness, I need help. Friends, I got good news. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. That's who he is. That's what Jesus calls him in John 14, verse 16. He says, I will send you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And you know what he says in Luke 11 he says what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him do you believe it well the test will be that you ask we need to ask Paul says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. And of course, that's because we're like a leaky bucket and we keep on leaking. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit. And so the invitation this morning as you come for communion, there's going to be an offer for anointing with oil, is that you ask for the Spirit because Jesus says the Father is so eager to give it to you. And you know, but this, what about this? I haven't done this. Don't be a hired servant. You're not a slave. You're not a slave. You're not an orphan. Honour God by claiming what it is that he's purchased for you through the sending of his son and the sending of his spirit. And let's memorise Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say sons, your version says children, and then I'm going to invite you to join me in saying it because the truth that we've learned today is that because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. Father. So let's say that together. We can say children. That's what your NRSV says. Let's say it together. And because you are children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at what it is that your son purchased for us through his bloody death on a cross, paying the price For all that abandonment, all the times we beat ourselves up, Lord, you were beaten up for us so that we could have the secure status, not as the accused, but as the accepted, not as orphans, but as heirs, not as slaves, but as sons. And so help us by your spirit, Lord, to enter into that experience. Thank you that you have given us the spirit of your son as soon as we put our trust in you, Lord. And through that we cry out, Abba, Father. And so please, by your Spirit, strengthen us. Give us that wonderful assurance, that passion and that intimacy, Lord, because unless you do it, we're left alone. And yet we've just read, Lord, you are so eager to give the Spirit to those who ask. Please give us that faith and that obedience this morning and that anticipation, Lord, that we're not slaves, but we're sons. We're children deeply loved by the Father. Help us to know it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.